live from the next cast Fanthropological Institute. Today we're talking about fans of K-pop. And welcome back to Phanthropological, the podcast that brings the fan's eye view to you. I am Nick G, and today we're going to be talking about K-pop with uh, particular regard to its popularity in Brazil. We already did Korea, but when we uh, when we did a bit of research and coming up with the topics for this season's episodes, we found K-pop was very popular in Brazil. So we're going to talk about that. And here with me to do that talking are my two best friends, Nick T. You can call me Sai because I'm a mother-father gentleman. That's all I got. And Nixie? You can just call me B because I'm rain and yo. Like a B does? B is the Korean word for rain, you see. Oh. Uh, yes, it's very clever. How about I just call you Z? Sure. <laughs> it does rhyme with B. I mean... It's all ticks. Yep. That's why we call you to be. Because, yep, that <laughs> makes so much sense. Makes my head spin. <laughs> a thousand miles an hour straight into the ground right now. <laughs> you know what? Let's <laughs> take our way through the ground, through the surface of the earth, all the way through the core, through the gooey magma, onto the other side of the world, and hopefully end up in South Korea. I don't think that's where we end up at all. But you know what? We're going to end up there regardless, because I'm going to bring us into the fandom facts about K-pop. Yeah, that was a roller coaster or a journey to the center of the earth. I don't know what it is. In any case, in case you didn't know about K-pop, I'm going to talk a little bit about the origins and give you a little bit of some some facts and other interesting tidbits about K-pop and K-pop fandom. So K-pop, Korean pop, abbreviated K-pop, is a musical genre that originates in South Korea. The term is often used to describe a modern form of South Korean pop, drawing inspiration from a range of styles and genres around the world. K-pop's origins began in the late 1980s and early 1990s with different groups, such as, uh, and I apologize for any mispronunciations, I'm not a native, fluent, any Korean speaker, Seo Taiji, and Boys, uh, being among the earliest in 1992. Um, I have this quote from the K-pop Wikipedia article, which gives a little bit more context. Uh, the French Institut de l'Audiovisuel defines K-pop as a fusion of synthesized music, sharp dance routines, and fashionable colorful outfits. Songs typically consist of one or a mixture of pop, rock, hip-hop, R&B, and electronic music genres. Uh, There is also a ton of history about K-pop that relates to Japan and the West, Korean culture, uh, and even Enka, which is like a ballad style of Japanese music. But we only have a short time to do the research, uh, and if you're interested in that, I would highly recommend doing some of that research yourself. (laughs) This episode was like, oh, I guess there's something here. And as I started digging a little deeper, there was there was a lot. <laughs> well, before we move on, I have a couple little, little, just quick, 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 quick tidbits about Seo Taiji and boys. Ooh, exciting. The aforementioned boys truly earned their name as boys. They are both credited with backing vocals, choreography. That is it. <laughs> Seo Taiji had lead, lead vocals, bass, guitar, keyboards, main songwriter, band leader. Wow. And Sayotaji is now known as the President of Culture in South Korea. Not his official title. It is not an official title. Okay. 
<laughs> Amazing. It's unofficial, but I do not think he gave it to himself. <laughs> That's still pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Talking about the origins of the fandom, which we haven't had for the past few episodes, uh, but coming back to that, modern K-pop idol culture began with the band H.O.T. in 1996, and uh, another generation of fans started with TVXQ and BOA, which broke into the neighboring Japanese market uh, and the world. Uh, However, with the advent of social media and Korean TV shows, K-pop and its fandom may just be a small part of the... uh, Oh, crap, I wrote the word somewhere else. Hanyu? Hallyu? Hallyu. Or, in English, the Korean wave. It was uh, kind of hard to avoid that, and I'm not going to bring it up now because I'm sure it'll come up later. <laughs> over and over again. It's it's important. Yeah. In terms of when the fandom was most active, I am not going to lie to you. This is one of the only fandoms that I've seen take a meteoric rise. <laughs> For the first time in Fanthropological's history, the answer to the question, when was this fandom most active, is now. Oh, man. Right now. I mean, now-ish. Relatively now. They're hot. They're hot right now. Yeah. Since January of 2004, which is the furthest back that Google Trends data goes, interest in K-pop is the highest it has ever been and has been on a huge trend upward since approximately January of 2010. Interest is still rising, but it has been less dramatic of an increase. The steepest part of the curve probably occurred from like January 2004 to March 2012. For reference, because I didn't even think about this until after I started the research, Gagnum Style which was the most popular song on YouTube with 2.6 billion views or more, didn't come out until July of 2012, which means K-pop was already crazy popular in terms of search before Gangnam Style. Fun fact, the Wikipedia article for K-pop includes a picture of the Google Trends data of K-pop. <laughs> oh, perfect. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, it's the first time I've seen that. In all the research, first time I've seen that pop up in the actual Wikipedia article. Yeah. So tipping my hat a little bit further into the episode... I was wondering about J-pop and K-pop, and somebody compared the trends of those two. J-pop does not have an upward trend or even a strong presence. It's just like kind of low search interest. But yeah, just meteoric rise, hugely popular, hard to not talk about. Yeah. I actually found some fan demographics this week, which was cool because that doesn't come up very often. Heck yeah. Yeah. So I actually found not one, but two, two sets of census data. Well, census is putting it strongly. One comes from the subreddit K-pop, and another one from somebody's thesis research from Moran Griffonette Barge uh, as part of her thesis. The data is pretty similar. Uh, I've included it in the show notes, uh, which you can check out after this episode is released. In terms of age, the majority of fans uh, in both surveys are under the age of 30. The subreddit K-pop survey uh, has the largest group as being fans aged 18 to 24, which is 61%. 25 to 34 at 20 percent and 13 to 17 with 15 percent that's like almost everybody right there the other survey didn't have exact numbers but it had a pie chart and it was a lot the majority were aged 19 or younger and then the next biggest group was 20 to 29 Mm. and that took up like 75 percent of the pie graph oh wow in terms of ethnicity the majority of fans from the subreddit are asian 46 percent caucasian 44 percent or hispanic 8.4 percent the other survey did not give a lot of detail about ethnicity, but the majority of respondents were white with the next largest group of fans being Asian. I think that was like a similar like 75% scenario. Yeah. 
And where the two surveys differed entirely, the subreddit had 56% male, and the thesis survey had the majority of fans being female. That's interesting. Yeah. I mean, if I had to guess, I would say that Reddit skews towards men. Yeah, just in general. Yeah. So, I don't know. that It did include a lot more other bits of data both surveys did like one talked about like values that non-korean fans have or like types of behaviors that they exhibit in terms of expressing Mm -hmm. their fandom and the k-pop survey from reddit uh, i don't actually remember what it included but um there's a lot of data there i would highly recommend taking a look at that i also got a rough idea of how many fans there are and uh i'm gonna have you guys guess how many fans of k-pop there are 30 million 30 million okay z one million one million okay so i don't actually know so you're both wrong or i'm right or whatever <laughs> what? i'm kidding um He's i did deceived. find no no um i couldn't find about k-pop but from a cora question somebody asking how many k-pop fans are there in the world which draws data from the Hallyu fan club or the Hallyu index rather they give a conservative estimate of 35 million hardcore fans of korean pop Ow. culture do they define what a hardcore fan is? No, but that means that there are even more not hardcore fans. Hmm. Hardcore fans would usually be like a small percentage. Yeah. yeah. To uh, give a slightly broader context, hmm. there are 60 million registered Hallyu fan club members in 109 countries. I think that was as of 2015 or something like that. So that means hmm. there's a lot of fans. There are yeah. definitely millions of fans even assuming k-pop is just a subset of that mm-hmm. yeah so g-u-n <laughs> undefeated number guessing champion to continue basking in victory i suggest we do not move on to famous last words <laughs> <laughs> i suggest we do well that's okay because i've got a little bit more fandom facts before we can eat eat crow eat pie I d- time to continue to bask <laughs> Around the world, using the same Google Trends data, K-pop is very popular in Asia. In particular, Brunei, Myanmar, Philippines, Malaysia, Vietnam, Mongolia, Singapore, Cambodia, Indonesia, and in 10th place, South Korea. <laughs> in 10th place. I mean, I guess some of those places have more people in it than South Korea does. I'm assuming there's like, a, you know, I'm searching in English and, you know, if you're in South Korea, you're probably not looking for K-pop. Yeah, yeah, sure. I mean, it's just popular Korean music. Yeah. But if I knew any artists, then maybe looking for that artist would have revealed more interesting data. Mm. Just like if I looked at the Hallyu Index, I would have seen, you know, how it is proliferating across the world. <laughs> the other little fandom fact that I have, and it's the last one I will leave before we move on to other things. I found an interesting fan term. Oh, yeah? Did either of you come across the fan term sasang? Sasang. Yes. Okay, well, that's less exciting. <laughs> did Z? Did Z? I did, yeah. Oh. <laughs> well. <laughs> okay, well, for anyone listening, because obviously <laughs> we're, we can't communicate telepathically. I mean, what's, what's a sasang? Thanks, Z. I don't know what these are. That's a great segue. Sasang, or I'm again, apologies for pronunciation, uh, means private life and refers to fans who pry into the private lives of K-pop fans and exhibit kind of stalker-ish behavior and are highly negatively viewed in both English and South Korean fandoms. Mm-hmm. 
Fun fact, a law introduced in February 2016 in Korea saw the penalty for stalking rise to about $17,000 plus two years jail sentence. Wow. Oh, wow. Surprisingly, in the umpteen episodes we've had of the show, we've never talked about stalkery kind of fans, uh, but there's a reason why you wouldn't want to be one. <laughs> it's an expensive hobby. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And uh, that's that's the fandom facts for this week. Oh my goodness. Have you basked in, in glory long enough, G? <laughs> oh, you did not mention what the conviction of stalking was. Oh, perhaps I didn't. Uh, you said it is now $17,000, right? Oh, uh, yeah, I don't know what it was. It was seventy-two. Excuse me? Just 72 regular dollars? Yeah, it's 72 bucks. <laughs> 72 regular dollars. Hey, I've got this big camera here. I'm going to take some nudes of you from like three miles that way. It's like, okay, we caught you. It's like, dang, here's $72. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> well, I mean, I imagine that's why um, the different fandoms were so upset. They're like, you guys are just jerks. Yeah. It's like, yeah, whatever. Here you go. That was about mm-hmm. 80,000 won, yeah. and it is now 20 million. <laughs> That's a lot. Like I said. Expensive hobby, yeah. Expensive hobby. Yeah. Oh, boy. Yep. All right. <laughs> Ooh, I'm getting excited. Mostly because I'm kind of curious where you guys went with this. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Let's rifle some papers. I don't have papers like yep. Z, so I can only fake it. Dramatically. Little. Yeah. Uh, all right, famous last words from last week's episode where we didn't do the research yet. Z, because you're the first on my list. I don't know. I feel like I pick on you, but I feel like you just have the last words first. I think so, yeah. I just have them in my back pocket, ready to go. Yeah. Well, the words you had in your back pocket last week were Cape Cop is so popular in Brazil, dot, 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 because you had other things to say and I don't type as fast as you can talk. <laughs> After the door was opened by K-dramas. So, did K-dramas really open up the door for K-pop in Brazil? No, they did not. But, caveat, in the rest of Latin America, they did. (laughs) (laughs) Because, if you look at the different waves of of Hallyu, there's the first wave that happened around, you know, the 90s. And it was mostly K-dramas coming through. So Korean cultural representatives would like drop by, you know, your Latin American TV stations and be like, hey, we've got this great show for you to air. Here are all these episodes. Go nuts. And then you've got the second wave that happened around, you know, the 2000s up to today, which was focused more on K-pop because the K-pop industry was much more developed by then. People were being sort of trained to be these kind of cultural ambassadors through music and dance and, and putting on a show. So throughout most of the rest of Latin America, you've got the K-dramas in the, in the 90s that get people interested in Korean culture. Maybe part of the soundtrack is a K-pop song. You hear that and you're like, who, who does that song? But in Brazil, that didn't happen because Brazil's film industry is one of the bigger film industries in Latin America. So they didn't have any need for those K-dramas. Oh. They didn't have like a bunch of holes in their programming, so they they could just wave those korean cultural representatives away saying no we're good we got we got a bunch of telenovelas in the works you know uh, catholic priests beating up gangsters etc whatever uh, somebody selling propane in texas and he doesn't know much about anything except propane and propane accessories whatever you know you know 
The rain in Spain <laughs> falls mainly on propane. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. Whoa. <laughs> Deep. So, no, in Brazil, it did not open up the door. Everywhere else, kind of did. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right, G, your famous last words were, K-pop is popular in Brazil because of a song or band uses Brazilian rhythms or that appeal to Brazilian listeners. I mean, undoubtedly something appeals to Brazilian listeners about K-pop. <laughs> but uh, no, that is not what I found. Uh, expanding on what Z said a little bit, there was um, there were K-dramas coming over to Brazil that would, did become popular, maybe not as big in, as, as in some other countries, but like because of their similarity to telenovelas, that people were attracted to, to some of the K-dramas. But mm-hmm. I think, because I, I thought that with the K-pop thing, people would find something common or something that was familiar to them, which drew them in. But I think it was mm-hmm. the opposite. It was like exotic. It was like different. They liked it because it was not Brazilian. Yeah. And I think the music itself is like less important than I originally thought it was. <laughs> about presentation, baby. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that image. Yeah, that didn't pan out for me. Okay. Well, continuing All right, continuing a trend of things. <laughs> one, out of, one out of three ain't bad. <laughs> yeah, uh, that like that meatloaf song. <laughs> that meatloaf mm. says, yeah. famous meatloaf. Don't be sad, one out of three ain't bad. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's not great. No, I mean, if it was better, maybe it would have had a better song about it. I don't know. All right, my famous last words were K-pop became popular in Brazil because of a legal ban that was lifted, and K-pop happened to be popular among that. Shock and surprise. I definitely couldn't find any legal ban or anything like that. In fact, what I learned was quite different than that. And this might be getting into the why. I don't think that it is. But what I learned was Brazil is a hugely multi-ethnic country. The majority identify Mm. as white, about 47%. The next largest group identifies as pardo, which means brown or multiracial, at 43.1%. That is a lot of people of, like, mixed heritage. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, for my question, the answer is the popularity of it at all in Brazil probably owes more to the Korean wave, the Hallyu Index, um, which I found out is state-funded, it's not like some fan mm-hmm. project. Oh, wow. And is an annual index measuring the reach of the Korean wave puts Brazil in the minority interest stage uh, with medium growth. Mm. The interest of Brazil and K-pop probably has more to do with US, Britain, and Japan being major exporters of culture, but Korea being a newcomer in that arena. So I think there's an element of novelty. And as it turns out, there are more Koreans in Brazil than anywhere else in Latin America, uh. even though it's only mm-hmm. about 50,000. Oh, wow. By comparison, there are about 1.5 million people of Japanese descent in Brazil. Oh, wow. So I think just, you know, the, the doors are already open from like the Korean wave and you already have a lot of people where like it doesn't like it's not that North America has like a really strong cultural identity. A lot of our cultural identity is just assumed by default. It's like you don't. Yes. Just like you don't have to say somebody's white because it's assumed that you're white yeah yeah but like brazil already has a ton of like different cultures coming together anyway and in particular a lot of different asian cultures so Mm -hmm. anyway definitely not a legal ban i was really wrong on that maybe there was something about that for video games but not for k-pop yeah 
Well, zero out of three is... Yeah. <laughs> it's not the best. Well, 0. 0.5, 0. 0.5 out of three, you know. Uh, everywhere else, just Brazil was uh, was the exception for K-dramas paving the way. Yeah, you know, 0. 0.5 out of three, like... Did you say Brazil, or did you say everywhere else but Brazil in your statement? Uh, let the record show that uh, the <laughs> plaintiff's statement was K-pop is so popular in Brazil dot 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 after door was opened by K-dramas <laughs> the court recognizes that there is some ambiguity in, in Z's testimony we will allow it yes. <laughs> oh my god okay so forget about yeah. so forget about Brazil in particular Let's yep, let's yep. talk brass tacks. What is it about K-pop that gets gets people into it? Why is there fandom around K-pop? Why? It's the popular music of Korea. See, I'm going to strangle you through the internet. <laughs> Just <laughs> well, okay. Gee, you you had uh, kind of touched on us this a little bit when you mentioned you know there's something about this this Korean pop music that's uh, not necessarily musical that has people interested just in general in korea and brazil elsewhere and um one of the things that came up for me was just the image of it you know you've got the boy bands that look like very properly mannered maybe a little modern aristocratic you know they're not wearing cravats and like frilly sleeves or anything like that but you know they, they look very fashionable and very well put together mm-hmm and then you've got these these girl bands that like seem very they they've got like a little bit of innocence about them but there's like also you know maybe maybe like a, a youthful energy a charm that was one of the interesting things that I'm going to call you on go for it um so like fashion definitely yes. a big important part but girl bands being one particular way not so much looking at just some of the variety of different korean artists out there mm-hmm. and some of the research that I did that was something people were quick to point out. It's like, all girl band, it's like, can be whatever they want. What? Doesn't have to be sexy, doesn't have to be cute, doesn't have to be tough, can be whatever, doesn't matter. And so you get a bunch of artists that have a lot of variety and diversity. So not all one look. Oh, you go, I go doing that. Well, I kind of expanded on it. I mean, one of the things that I, like the very, the very simple Summary that I, I found from an article called uh, K-pop in South America, Why So Famous? And in this article, the author makes the point that very broadly, super broadly, there are a few elements that make K-pop so popular, or sort of around the world, but especially in Latin America. You got the image of the bands, just like their look, their stage presence, their catchy music, of course, tricky and impressive choreography a lot of crazy dance moves going on the charm of the females and the attractiveness of the men and i think especially with that last one the attractiveness of the men another article called like the landing of the wave and in it it mentioned that one of the reasons why perhaps maybe more so women than men but also men are drawn to k-pop in brazil and peru those were the two countries they were really looking at was because the boy bands in particular and just like the, the male idols have like this different kind of masculinity about them. It's not like your Latin American macho, muscly, luchador dude 
who's like coming in there and like you know kicking down doors and taking names it's like this sensitive caring thinking gentlemanly sort of masculinity mm. and in that study the landing of the wave they even mentioned that some of the fans that they talked to um, some of the guys said that they were interested in these bands because just the attractiveness of the the guys faces it's like there's some draw and like the physical appearance of the stars which is super intentional everything is very in- intentional yeah like each band is like a package yeah right you have the the members of the group and each have their own distinct personalities and they have their own individual looks and they have their looks together and they have their their dance moves their point moves figure into each each different song and they have mm-hmm. you know ways that they connect to fans a lot of them are social media savvy bts said tweeting is like brushing their teeth <laughs> <laughs> amazing they're like there's seven of us one of us is <sighs> going to be tweeting something yeah whenever and then you have like your fan clubs and like mm-hmm. your named fan clubs bts's army for example so it's like if you or into the music, there's a way to be connected further to it than just buying an album or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's definitely a huge community, especially online, because there are a lot of forums. Mm-hmm. In a way, they're like, they're gigging, it's like doing shows constantly. There are, mm-hmm. I, I learned this, this that was very cool, or very interesting at the very least. There are six main music shows in Korea. Okay. Okay. If each one on a different channel. And each one on a different day of the week. <laughs> Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. All have music shows on. All are most about live performances on that music show. Mm-hmm. All have ways that you can vote for who the best was. But all have different ways <laughs> that you vote. So, <laughs> so, like, they talk about how, like, wow. if you got an album or a single coming out, you got to be on, like, all of them. Like... If you go on this one and this one, but not this one, you might get bad blood with that channel. Because they're, they're all they're all on different channels. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not just one network or anything like that. You have to, yeah. get, like, make sure that you do everything. Or, like, go like go through the, the Korean music industry ringer in order to promote your thing. I just thought that was really interesting, like, really intense. Yeah. Well, so I wonder if that, um, that industry is part of the, the thing that goes into the fandom. Because one of the things that I... Didn't quite get around to, but kind of danced around. Did either of you come across this idea of slave contracts? Yes. <laughs> Not exactly, but the contracts, like the general outlines I was seeing, did seem pretty uh, pretty intense. Yeah, they're not they're not actually called slave contracts. That was from, um, I think, an article that BBC posted talking yeah. about the rigor of the schedule that these K-pop mm-hmm. celebrities have. And I read a few articles arguing that K-pop is manufactured. Hmm. But I think that is part of the appeal of K-pop celebrities. Um, and, it, and it ties into that that slave contract kind of idea. Because a lot of these people will be taken from whatever age, um, probably young, and groomed. Mm-hmm. Not like yep. any in any other field. It'll be like two to three years. You may not ever become a K-pop star. But these different production groups will take you in and groom you to become like a star. And when you actually get there, you're in like a 10 or 20 year contract. It's like, these are, <laughs> these are the clothes that you wear. These are the foods that you eat. This is the diet that you're on. Yeah. No boyfriends or girlfriends. Yeah. You know, this is the kind of things you respond to. And people, I also found out that people are sometimes critical of it. It's like, well, that's 
weird. And then these Korean pop stars are like, that's what it says in my contract. That is, it's like, I have no say in this. <laughs> um, also strange. Apparently yeah. they had to change laws about child labor conditions for K-pop stars to limit oh the number of work hours to 35 hours. If they're, I forget, under a certain age and to under 40 hours, if they're under a certain age and to limit like no work between 10 PM and 6 AM and, you know, to guarantee that they can like study and eat and et cetera and limit the number of overseas work. And I was just like, Oh my goodness. <laughs> I mean, also apparently there's like three major groups, three major labels. Yeah. And mm. it sounds like part of what makes K-pop such a big deal is that they, they have this whole like process, this whole like treadmill and so the people that come out of it are like really high quality people because not only can yeah. they, they can sing, they can dance. Yeah. They can rap. They can like speak in different languages. Yeah. It's like the old days. Yeah. One thing I saw comparing uh, K-pop to J-pop mm-hmm. said that K-pop kind of has flourished a little bit more because it acknowledged the fact that you can't go big without knowing English. There's a huge historical component to that too. Yeah. Like just scratching the surface on because there's a lot there like because of the relationship between south korea and the united states and like united states having a military presence there and coming over and kind of importing all that western culture Mm. but even from an even earlier time with like the occupation of korea with japan you've got a lot of imported culture from other places and so korea is no stranger to be like you know what english like not so bad whereas Mm -hmm. in an article i read comparing j-pop and k-pop because i was starting to get curious a huge fan of anime but not seeing like why why was this never a thing Mm -hmm. from a quartz article why is it so easy for korea to overtake japan in the pop culture wars it was talking about you know as you said k-pop stars like know some english or other languages whereas j-pop celebrities are like may only know japanese yes very insular by comparison Mm -hmm. so i couldn't stop thinking uh, this like rigorous training system of the Jackson Five. Huh. Oh, when no one else was doing that. Yeah, it affected all their lives quite a bit. But well, so that reminds me of the law that I found, and I was like, "Well, there was one more bit to it, which was those are the general laws, but with parental consent, you know, they can work as ah. much as they want." <laughs> so. <laughs> so. Just tie it Grace. a little closer to the Jackson 5 there. Man, oh man. Oh boy. Whew. On a Tumblr page, maybe a little out of date now, it hasn't been updated since 2016, but called K-pop Secrets. There were a few posts from people in the industry in various levels and fans as well. But uh, one of the posts that I was reading through was about this person who was picked up when they were like in the sixth, sixth or seventh grade. They were just like hanging out in China with two of their friends and this promotion, this this company picked them up. Their parents were cool with them going to an audition and signing contracts and that sort of thing. And so, like, they went through that super rigorous training with dancing and singing, rapping, Chinese language instruction, English instruction, Korean instruction, because they weren't all from Korea originally. I think their common thread was that they all knew English because they were all, like, mixed heritage. But then, like, you know, they're in this for seven years and they, they improved vastly. Like, throughout your training, you're given uh, various numbers you know, one is the lowest number you can get and six is the highest. And like they, this uh, poster was given with their numbers and, you know, they were all pretty low when they started. But when, by the time they were done, like the company itself was grading them as being, you know, around level five or six for most of their skills. 
which is crazy impressive. But despite that, after the seven-year contract, none of them became K-pop stars. What? Instead of, like, the the company was just, like, grabbing people who were younger, who had, like, shorter contracts, who, or had contracts, I guess, that were the same length, but they weren't in training for as long. So, like, it's this weird sort of crapshoot, it seems, like, we're, you know, kind of like maybe over here with the modeling agencies if they let you know sometimes you hear stories of people being in high school and they're just sitting at tim hortons or whatever and like a modeling agent comes up to them and says hey hey you high school students i represent this agency etc 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 true story and i do want to say i was at that tim hortons too (laughs) but i'm not better but but, like there's it's it just uh it's just bizarre but i mean one of the one of the other things i was reading was that like in the k-pop world the the sort of bottom line is if it says it in the contract it's what you do you got to respect that contract and the idea is that like it seems to be a very sort of maybe eastern idea like not to limit it to a single country but just to limit it to the mindset whereas in the west you know we have a very individualist mindset it's like i am first and then the group benefits from that whereas a lot of Eastern countries, you've got the opposite, where it's like, I am a part of this group, I need to help out the group, and then I can help out myself, and things benefit from that. And it almost seems like the K-pop contracts kind of come from that emphasis on the group, where it's like, I'm okay doing all this crazy touring and like recording and having an album every however many months or whatever it is, because it will ensure that the people who I have this contract with will honor it. So, you know, if I fulfill all these things and i've got a job for 20 years as this k-pop star great which also struck me as being very different from stardom in the west where it's like yeah i'm this indie producer all my songs are on youtube and like i'm this fantastic phenomenon now and then it just fills out in like a year or two no way man in the western world it's like oh man my parents are rich so now i'm a rap star (laughs) i mean there's exceptions but just saying, if the yeah. Beatles were a K-pop yeah. group, they would not have broken up. <laughs> okay, okay. So this is all extreme. I'm, I'm actually like being very sincere. This is all very fascinating about the dark underbelly of <laughs> of K-pop celebrity. But I think we're getting a little bit away from the fandom. A little. Side. A little. I mean, like I am thoroughly enjoying it. I will. I'll, I'll try to tie it back into the fandom side right now. Then. Because like whether or not you think that uh, K-pop is um, oppressive or exploitative or anything like that, just the fact that these contracts are like out in the open, people know about them, people know about companies and what they do, that could be part of the reason why there are fans of K-pop. People admire it because it's something that they could potentially do themselves up to a certain point. Maybe that explains the age range as well. I don't think K-pop scouts are looking for... Uh, 40, 50, 60, 70 year olds to come in and become the next K-pop sensation? Mm, probably not. Mm. No. Well, kind of touching on that, talking about kind of like the appeal through hardship, I'll use for lack of a better word. I have this interesting, if maybe a little bit long quote from Time Magazine. That's right. You know it's serious when we're talking about Time Magazine. Um, <laughs> an article called Forget Politics, Let's Dance. Why K-pop is a Latin America smash. Hmm. Uh, And it talks a little bit about the appeal and touches on what you mentioned, Z. Uh, And it goes like this. Hmm. 
That niche, an amalgamation of spectacular entertainment and relentless optimism, resonates with teenagers in South American nations. The value these stars represent are almost Confucian, says Professor Patrick Meserlin, mm. a French economist who has produced an economic analysis of K-pop and who earlier this year addressed a cultural forum in Seoul on the music's globalization. In his research, Meserlin found that K-pop performers deliver a sense of modesty and restraint and mm. insist on working hard and learning more during public appearances, something Western pop artists do not do. Their music represents a new, colorful, and cheerful start, and not an old order, something that will easily appeal to millions of young Central and South Americans living where economic challenges are rife and non-democratic regimes common. Mm. K-pop's positive energy is a world away from the introspective, jaded, and at times downright depressing style of much of Anglophone rock, indie, and emo. The Koreans say, we understand your problems, Bezerlin explains. We went through it too, referring to the Korean War and mm-hmm. the economic crash of the late 1990s. Yeah. So maybe maybe they can sympathize with that, like, oh, you just got to stick it through to make <laughs> things better. Mm-hmm. I watched a bunch of K-pop music videos preparation for this, mm-hmm. and there definitely was not a single one where I did not have a big smile on my face when I was watching it. <laughs> <laughs> it's very infectious. Yeah. Western music, and even pop music these days, has what I've seen called lately sad bastard music. It's like, oh, I'm so sad about my problems. It's getting me down. Well, why won't you love me? (laughs) I was reading a little bit about Psy because it'd be hard not to. Not that he's like the indicator of K-pop fandom, but like he is probably one of the ins for a lot of North Americans if they weren't already in from some other way. Yeah. Hmm. And what's interesting is that Psy's music, admittedly. Not so much the like 2010s, his like much earlier music, but even taking a look at like Gangnam Style and things like that, those are mocking, those are satirizing K pop. Yeah. And it's still like really catchy. <laughs> like you're loving that. But he's just like making fun of it all. Mm-hmm. So even when it's like jaded or cynical, it's <laughs> still like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. Like yeah, you can't you can't help but be be swept away. Like so much of Western pop is about being like dark and sexy and cool. And the voice of your generation. Yeah, and the voice of your generation. <laughs> but <laughs> it's funny because Korean pop doesn't seem quite so much concerned with that. It's more fun and up and mm-hmm. like people and stuff like that, yeah. which is nice. I mean, there there's some you know darker, slower like minor key songs in there as well, but <laughs> mm-hmm. it's much more upbeat than uh, than over here. Yeah, and I can see that being a huge draw for people. Particularly, that's that uh, article that I was talking about earlier, the landing of the wave. One of the things that they wanted to to look at was that idea that you know, in a lot of Latin America, especially in Brazil, there's a really big South Korean population. So you know, the accepted idea is kind of that one of the reasons why K-pop is so popular in these regions is that all these people with like South Korean roots are rediscovering it through K-pop music. But in this article with relatively small survey sizes, but nonetheless, nonetheless, they found something that didn't necessarily run counter to that, but instead relied on things like people's economic and uh, and social standing. And they found that, for the most part, according to the people they were surveying anyway, it was the lower-income households that were interested the most in K-pop. Hmm. And it was people with a high school uh, education. 
they didn't say or less or more, so I'm just assuming a high school education, um, that were interested in it. And what they drew from that was that one of the appeals of K-pop is that it's kind of an escape because it's so upbeat, because it's so happy, and because in particular, one Peruvian student, a university student from a a low-income background, mentioned that a lot of K-pop kind of gets across this idea that, you know, you can be poor, but then there's this social mobility you can make use of to become greater than your origins. And, you know, in Peru, Brazil, Latin America, that's not necessarily the case as much as it seems to be in the South Korea of K-pop. That's some sneaky Western ideals sneaking into Brazil (laughs) via South Korea. That's the American dream right there. Yeah. That's what that is. <laughs> I mean, I also saw some things that talked about K-pop and, you know, it's it's cultural appropriation and, you know, kind of like some things that South Koreans aren't as sensitive about as like people in the West are sensitive about and that sort of thing. But like I also, um, in that same article, I think, it was, I think it's all in the same article, <laughs> just read the stuff in the show notes, listeners and viewers, thanks. But like, you know, whatever K-pop's faults are in this kind of like cultural sensitivity uh, spectrum they just kind of inherited it from western pop to some extent anyway so those western ideas they're just kind of coming back i guess through a south korean filter yeah it's hard to talk about korean well it's hard to talk about korean culture without talking about like 1950s 60s uh american values because as you mentioned like the the presence of the u.s military and all the u.s help throughout the korean war and afterwards and well, all sorts of cultural exchanges and that sort of thing I mean, it's really hard to talk about fandoms that that aren't from North America because, like, mm-hmm. knowing what little I know about Korea, there's also like a huge history of like the relationship between Korea and Japan, <laughs> and you know yeah, all Korea those things. China. Yeah, they muddies yeah, the waters. Like, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, Korea is definitely proud of being Korea, but you know, kind of, kind of like I don't know if a colony, but a part of different Chinas, as there were a few different Chinas through history and then uh, the Japanese colony. They didn't really have, they didn't have their own written language until the 1300s, I believe until like up until that point, they just used Chinese and it was really hard. You had to be super educated, just kind of like Latin in the West. So Korea is no stranger to sort of mixing a lot of cultural elements together, kind of like maybe using a bit of a cultural double think, but Again, it's probably getting away from the whole fan question. I mean, it's there's so many tangential things, but something that's yeah. not a tangent and talking about the whole like mixing up of different things. I think one of the reasons that people like K-pop in particular, it's not about the music necessarily, is about the people. And I mean, we've talked about this with um, figure skating fandom, how there's like a story behind the people. But I think there's an even more compelling one. Okay. From a question that was on Cora, why do people like K-pop? This one person was talking about their own experiences learning to love a particular K-pop band. Unfortunately, I don't remember what it is, but it's in the notes somewhere. Mm-hmm. And they say, I learned more about these guys. One of them attended a school for artists and was the best contemporary dancer mm-hmm. that the teacher had ever seen. Another member had parents wow. who didn't support him becoming a musician. One of them danced all night in his garage because he wanted to become a dancer someday. Uh, another has an IQ of 146 and his tests were in the top 1%. He could uh, have... That would be Rap Master. Oh, that... okay, perfect. <laughs> uh... Rap Master from BTS. 
<laughs> he could have become a great scientist or an amazing doctor. That's where the quote ends. And then I follow up with, and instead became a K-pop star. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And like, this is just one group. Yeah. Yeah. Many of these people are also, you know, actors and in different K-dramas. So now you have these people who have these interesting stories that maybe flirt a line between reality and fiction where they're manufactured or not. <laughs> but you inherently have interesting stories by virtue of wanting to become a K-pop star. Yeah. And they're uprising to do that. And it could be anybody because they've got this two to three year grooming period. They could not know very much Korean and speak English mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and work their way up in those rankings and not become K-pop stars. Yep. So I think like that diverse element of the different groups is a huge draw because mm-hmm. like maybe you don't want to listen to the same stuff. You <laughs> you want to listen to different stuff. Yeah, but like you get, you have like, you know, just a little bit of like human story attached to each person. Yeah, and it's not like yeah. this is the cute one or this is the shy one. This is scary space. <laughs> it's like, no, no, there's actually, there's stuff there. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. we now have multiple generations of big time K-pop. People are like, oh, that's what I want to be. <laughs> yeah. Apparently that was one of the things that they, uh, that they ran in Brazil and like across uh, Latin America, just in general. Korean uh, embassies would run these dance competitions and the whole point would be that groups of K-pop fans would get together, form up these cover dance groups. So they would like either come up with their own dances or try to copy the dances that the the K-pop stars were using for these songs and, you know, see who could do it the best. The winner got a trip to Korea. Ooh, dang. Yeah. Check your local embassy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure if they're still running them, but I mean, if they are. For dance competitions. <laughs> or just go there, find out where it is, and just go dance. Yeah. I'm sure they'd appreciate it. Maybe they'll send you on a trip to Korea just to get you out of their face. <laughs> man, oh man. Did either of you guys come across the term all kill? I saw it, and I just no. thought it was like a number one Billboard Top 100 number one <laughs> hit. But not Billboard Top 100, because... An all-kill occurs when an individual song sweeps all of South Korea's major music charts simultaneously, placing first in both the real-time and daily charts. What was the difference wow. between that and a perfect all-kill? And a perfect all-kill? It is also on the weekly charts. I'm like, I was like, oh, real-time and daily charts, so like the longer one... But then I realized that real-time is like, obviously, faster than daily. Like, it's <laughs> like instantaneous, mm-hmm. like right now. Is it? Yeah. So does it have place first for like a second? Oh, actually, that that generates <laughs> some sort of like. Haven't talked about curative or transformative fandom elements in a while, but there is within curative, I say more so, or even just in general, there's like this competitive side to fandom, mm-hmm. and that I think is is another part right there. If you have real time data, it's like, oh yeah, we're number one, we're number one, and then all of a sudden your song <laughs> drops. <laughs> Like, even just a place, it's like, what? <laughs> yeah, it's like, you know, it's like having a team. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah, you're on team Yeah. BTS. Yeah. Did either of you come across fan chants? The idea of, yes. <laughs> well, apparently something unique to uh, K-pop fandom is where they'll come together and, like, when there's a new song coming out or something, they'll, like, mm-hmm. try to pick a chant that they'll do during the song, like, at a performance. Yeah. That's kind of neat. But it'll be different every time. Cool. I like that. Yeah. I like that a lot. Yeah. I didn't come across that. I just came across the uh, 
fact that apparently some fan club rivalries get pretty heated. Like the Jets and the Sharks? I mean, maybe. Unfortunately, I didn't get any specifics. But at one concert, two opposing, at least they better be opposing, fan clubs met. And at the end of, of their skirmish, 20 people were sent to hospital. And so I don't know what happened there, but... If you go to the show notes and look up the uh, fandom fail link, you'll be able to find out more. Oh, boy. Just uh, know who the... you're messing with is all, <laughs> is all we ask. Oh, yeah. But along those lines, and not to take us down this darkest of timelines, but did either of you come across the idea of anti-fans? I saw it mentioned in an article, and I saw an article on why people hate K-pop and why they're wrong. But uh, I didn't really see much about anti-fans, other than what seems obvious. Yeah. On the one hand, it is pretty obvious. If you're a fan of BTS, you know, you go to the shows, you join the fan club, you try to promote them, you try to, like, make sure that, you know, you you might get into the nitty-gritty and you might try to, like, make sure that their contracts are upheld, their rights are protected, and all this sort of stuff. If you're an anti-fan, you basically do the opposite, right? You try to pull down <laughs> BTS... You like well, it's not it's not just like individual people. There are anti fan clubs, so like there are groups of people who are like, oh, BTS is the worst. I gotta get rid of those clowns. Do they represent a different K pop group? Or are they? I'm sure they must. I don't think it's like I hate all K pop, but BTS. Oh. Specific, yeah. I think it's focused mostly on oh my goodness on single groups rather than K pop as a whole. I mean, I can see in in some ways how that would be like fun like in a in a sporting sort of way but like i'm sure you know we're talking about the internet here it can get taken to extremes goes a little far yeah yeah things like shunning other fans trying to poison k-pop idols whoa whoa yeah yeah oh yeah 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 i did read about that (laughs) that's too far yeah so there's something something about this K-pop that like really makes people feel both joy and hate. When you said poison K-pop idols, I was thinking of some sort of WWE-esque <laughs> new K-pop idol ah. who's in his contract as an anti-fan and a whole storyline where he's <laughs> poisoning the other. I don't know. Just for some reason, it seemed really ridiculous and came to Welcome mind. to our North American wrestling Lucha Libre k-pop crossover episode that'd be fun the dancing would be amazing <laughs> oh man oh, whatever like capiera did did either of you guys come across the musical k-pop oh no no i didn't no i believe it is a musical yeah yeah it's a musical called hmm. k-pop playing in new york city and the premise is when you're as the audience we've been asked to be part of a focus group run by a k-pop label its leaders have invited us to tour Korean Pop Factory, where the stars hone their dancing and singing in Korean and English. We, the audience, are supposed to help figure out just why Korean megastars haven't been able to break into the American market. Okay. Jason Kim is the main writer, and he's like, he uses it to talk about being, as the article says, Asian American and Asian American. Okay. And like kind of exploring why there aren't like really big Asian American stars in America and things like that. Hmm. It sounded really interesting. It came up a lot in my search results because I was searching K-pop and it's called K-pop. Okay. I mean, that yeah. that was an interesting thing that... When I was trying to think about why K-pop was popular in North America, 
at all. One of the reasons I thought was because there's definitely a lack of representation of Asian Americans in all sorts of different media, not the least of which being Mm -hmm. like music. But also Mm -hmm. in one of the articles that I read, and I definitely don't remember which one it was, it was talking about music in the West and music in either South America or the East and talking about how like it's very hard for K-pop to kind of grow in North America because like record labels don't take it seriously um i think it has a lot to like they would come have a meeting with different artists and it's like well we're, we're not going to re- represent you because we're not really interested but we'll do you the kindness of, of meeting with you hmm. and i think that has a lot to do with it's like this is how we do things this is the music industry in north america this is how it is so too bad there wasn't a lot to support that but it that was the impression that i got reading the article yeah okay so Kim Nanjun, a.k.a. Rap Monster, leader of BTS and a dominant figure in this podcast tonight. <laughs> says he's, he's the only BTS member fluent in English, having learned it from the Friends DVDs his mom gave him. <laughs> the first time I watched it with Korean subtitles, the second with English subtitles, and the next time I managed to watch it with no subtitles and saw real situations what Americans deal with. <laughs> Friends help me so much. What? Real Americans. Amazing. I think, and this is a controversial opinion, and it by no means is to diminish any mm. other things that we've talked about in terms of why people are fans of K-pop, but I think a large portion of why people are K-pop fans is because K-pop is designed to be marketable. It is designed to be exported. Korea very strongly wants to export its culture, wants to be mm-hmm. like a big name player in that arena. And so I think, whether or not it's it's Korean or not, that it is manufactured to accomplish exactly that. There is a, a group. There are actually two groups, XOK and XOM. Have you come across these? They are two Korean boy bands, one of which produces music in Korean and the other one in Mandarin. <laughs> oh, wow. They are different people. They make the same music, like different lyrics for Korean and Mandarin. And I think that is just one example of the music being produced to be marketable. We talked at the top of the episode about K-pop being like this this machine. In an article that I was reading about J-pop versus K-pop, it was talking about how the South Korean recording industry is run like Hyundai and Samsung, which means it's like a very serious business. Mm-hmm. Business. Yeah. And as a result, why are people fans of K-pop? Because it's supposed to be catchy and fashionable and the music videos are ridiculous and it's upbeat and Mm -hmm. uh, all of these other things. It's designed to be that way. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm just saying I think that's part of what it is. And when your whole shtick is to be popular and you're going to put a lot of effort into that, you're going to gain some popularity. Mm -hmm. I mean, over here in North America, like we did this. We had Backstreet Boys, Backstreet Boys, NSYNC, 98 Degrees, O-Town, the list goes on. We just kind of got tired of it. And Korea is better at it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Mexico did this as well. Yeah. Oh? I don't know too much about it, but Menudo. Menudo. Except Menudo is like a group with a rotating cast who are, I believe, kicked out once you get too old (laughs) some sort of uh (laughs) logan's run situation (laughs) some sort of logan's run group (laughs) ricky martin was in it when he was the appropriate age oh Hmm. interesting 
That's pretty much how I know about it. Okay. But yeah. It's a machine. Ah. It's undoubtedly a machine, but Korea is much better at it than we were. This isn't me criticizing like that's a bad thing. I'm like, but I think that's a factor. Yeah, for sure. I think the big difference is that they maybe know a little bit more about what they're doing. When North America was churning out its boy bands, I think it was just like, let's slap together these handsome looking lads and throw on the auto tune. Don't forget frosting their tips. Frost, oh, frost those tips. Turn them upside down, dip them in some frosting. Yep. So that's how frosting tips works, right? Not to mention the sex pistols. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure everyone's aware at this point that the sex pistols were a manufactured band. Yeah. It's awful. <sighs> but yeah. Yeah. I mean, Backstreet Boys didn't have Twitter either. Also true. Yeah. Social media is huge. <laughs> YouTube is like a not insignificant part of its entire rise. Yeah. Inkigayo is one of the music shows in Korea. It says it counts YouTube views as 35% of its score. Wow, that's a lot. So going back to what you're saying, T, if your goal is to get a lot of YouTube views, you're probably going to see something from that. <laughs> okay, you know what? Skip the verdict, guys. I think we need to become a Korean pop band. I'm okay with this. <laughs> I feel like I'm too old and not Korean. <laughs> it might be a small problem. <laughs> yep, might be. I'll have to think about that. We can become a C-pop band. Is it weird that I was thinking of China and not Canada? <laughs> I, don't know. I don't know why. It's fine. All right. I think it's time that we bring out the gavels, the robes, the wigs, and uh, move on to the verdict. In or out. All right. I'm going to start. I think I already said my verdict. <laughs> but I'll quickly summarize. <laughs> I think that K-pop is a machine. It is a very impressive, very elaborate, very well-made machine. And it works. I listened to Spotify's Best of 2016 K-pop. And while I didn't love it all, I definitely enjoyed a lot of it. It reminded me a lot of Western music. And that makes sense because part of that process is, you know, taking samples from and um, taking elements from that and then injecting a south korean element to it as for whether or not i'm in or not i'd say i'm about as in as i'm going to get which is i'll listen to k-pop music from time to time as i do with like anime music as i do with whatever sounds interesting to me but in terms of i guess fandom activity i guess that really means that i am out i mean i mean i do want to know what happens with rat monster <laughs> He's got a bright future. BTS has seven guys in it. That's... And they're not the biggest group I've seen either. <laughs> lot, they're like arcade fire numbers on some of those groups. Yeah. yeah. I think there's a band that has, has like the number 47 in the name. That's because there are like 47 members or something ridiculous like that. It's too many. That's like polyphonic spree levels. <laughs> you guys and your knowing bands. Ah, I listened to some and I, I, I liked it a lot. I mean, I'm not going to, you know, change my taste entirely, but it's certainly going to go into the mix as, as T was talking about. Like it's, I'm not always in the mood for it. Sometimes I want to be sad and listen to Radiohead, <laughs> but you know, not all the time. Yep. Time for K-pop. I do want to give a recommendation. TVXQ's song, Something, Ooh. was fantastic. Also with a fantastic video, unsurprisingly. Hmm. <laughs> And uh, just might make its way into the good old New Year's playlist this year. Ooh. In terms of like, you know, following them as idols, again, 
Probably not, but I, I, I enjoy watching the videos. I don't watch a lot like that many music videos, but uh, K-pop, I won't make an exception, certainly. Because I always give something to, to grab the eye. But yeah, I like it. Feels good to listen to. So I'd say that I'm in. I'm for it. Z. All right, well then. Last one to hammer my gavel. I'm not banging a gavel. They'd be loud. <laughs> well, you know, as has been said already, there's no way to deny that it's a manufactured thing, but it's like really well made and like really well put together. And even setting aside the whole manufactured part of it, like just that people are willing to dedicate so much of their time to mastering these various skills and like putting them out there in the world. It's, it's just really cool that that's a thing. Say what you will about, you know, it being not genuine because it's not people in their basements, like with a crappy webcam for four years until they get a record deal or whatever. But like, it's really cool that that's a thing. And I didn't listen to any K-pop in preparation for this episode, I will confess. But I, I've heard some K-pop here and there. I did. It's not uh, K-pop, it's K-rap, because I got interested in the story of uh, of Daniel Lee, Ooh. a uh, target for a lot of anti-fans. Mm. In a nutshell, his story was that he went to Stanford, and in three years he got a BA and an MA. Won a few short story contests, you know. Super impressive university career, but normally it takes six years to do those two things. So people back home in South Korea started to find out about this, and they're like, oh, it's fake, it's fake, you know. It's such a such a fake degree. And at the time, fake degrees were kind of being uh, sniffed out here and there, left and right. And South Korea has a very uh, competitive culture when it comes to education, so fake degrees are a big deal over there. And he tried his hardest to prove that he actually did go to Stanford and actually did complete those courses and all that studies and all that stuff in that three, three and a half year span. But like there are just these people who would not believe him no matter what. They would just take everything he was giving them and weave it into a bigger and bigger conspiracy theory. But yeah, it, it shone a light for sure on how crazy fans of K-pop can be, how dedicated they can be. And also... In uh, popular verdict form, here's a new piece of information. By following this story on Daniel Lee, I, I came across the <laughs> South Korean proverb, you get a stomach ache when you see others do well. <laughs> so with that as part of the culture, I think that explains a lot about why anti-fans are a thing. I think that explains why fans are as adamant as they are. There's probably an element of like, I've got to protect my idol from those anti-fans. So... A lot of interesting stuff in the fandom. The music's popular music. I mean, it's good stuff. Ultimately, I, I've got to say pretty much the same thing. I'm going to be listening to some more K-pop. It's going to enter the rotation. I'll seek that out on whatever I'm listening to music to on at the moment. But getting into the fandom, like going on and gossiping about BTS and uh, Rat Monster and all that, nah, I'm good. I'm just, I'm just going to listen. And we have the same verdict a lot of the time. I mean, as established long, long ago, where are you going to find the time? Yeah. And then we yeah. and we just decided that uh, it's just like it's okay to just like things, but it's like, I don't know. There's going to be something. One of these weeks, there's going to be something where one of us is going to be like, no, I am totally against this, and ah, I will become <laughs> the anti-fan for this thing. <laughs> we did that. It's Transformers. Oh, yeah. yeah. Actually, guess, <laughs> yeah. Yep. Go back and listen to our Transformers episode, everyone. <laughs> and send any hate mail to <laughs> <laughs> tea at the next cast. Oh, no. Ah, I've been slighted. I'm going to do something where it's like we role play or pretend 
to be a person with a lot of time. And, and someone is pitching the fandom. Change it from the verdict to the pitch. The pitch. <laughs> oh man, it'd be like with the the convention videos where we're like, why should you come to this? Ah. Anyway, food for thought. Yeah, food for thought. Definite food for thought. Mm, pie yeah. for thought. Pie for, yep. You know what's a pie in the sky? A spotlight. What? Yeah. <laughs> Great pie. I don't know. It's Thanksgiving. Go I've got it. pie on the brain. <laughs> <laughs> In the world's worst segue, I'm taking us to this week's Spotlight, which is the part of the show where we try to highlight an interesting charity or cause or something related to the fandom. This week, I was fortunate enough to find two-ish kind of things. A little bit atypical, but, you know, sometimes that's how things roll. The first of those two things that I found is the Reddit K-Pop Census 2017. Mm. If you are watching this on Twitch right now, then... You're in luck because the census closes on October 30th. If not, this episode will still come out before October 30th, so you still have a chance to enter. But not as much time. No, not as much time. But uh, they've been running it for at least one other year. I was actually looking at the 2016 results for part of this episode. It's a really cool cause because it's getting all that interesting fandom information. I think the subreddit has had 60,000 subscribers and now has like almost 300,000. Wow. So I wish them luck. I am not going to try to sell the URL on the air because it's a big honking URL. We here at Fathopological are super, super pro any kind of like census or data gathering <laughs> thing about fandoms. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, if you want to check that out, go on Reddit and search for Reddit K-pop census 2017. The URL is reddit.com slash r slash kpop slash comments slash 756LOV slash reddit underscore kpop underscore census underscore 2017, which is not as hard as I thought, but it's really long. So just go in the show notes just, if you're interested. Yeah, just go to the show notes. It'll be there. Just, yeah. just click it. Yeah. Just click it. Yeah. The other thing I would like to shine the spotlight on, which we didn't talk about all episode and I saved for now. Hey. Because it's an interesting mm. phenomenon, but is not necessarily an individual charity and it's not a fan run charity either. But the other spotlight I'm shining on fan rice. Fan rice? Fan rice. Rice harvested and grown by fans for fans. <laughs> yep. That's right. We're bringing this all the way back to conspiracy theories. Uh... <laughs> That's right. If you don't uh, turn the fan off when you're making that rice, it's bad news for you. Okay, No. Fan rice is an interesting phenomenon where fans of different K-pop artists donate rice to them. I don't know why this happened. I know when it started. Apparently, this trend started after Shin Hee Sung's concert on August 11, 2007. What happens is fans will donate rice to an artist, and they will often then donate that rice to an actual charity of the idol's choice. The idea is donating rice indicates that fans take greater social responsibility besides showing their respect and support for their favorite artists. Um, as of 2013, and this is from an, the Wikipedia article on fan rice, the record of fan rice donated for a celebrity is held by the fan club of 2PM, where fans from different countries donated 28 tons of rice <laughs> for their What Time Is It finale concert. <sighs> I have a question. How many grains is that? Well, if we assume a packing density of... I don't have any idea. Man, Chinese vampires would not stand a chance against all that rice. Spill it out in front of them. 
Forget about it. You can run away. You can walk away. <laughs> Crawl away. You know what? <laughs> I gotta do one better. No one would really be able to withstand that amount of risk. <laughs> well, you know, you took out the chessboard and you put... Vampire or otherwise. You put one grain and then two grains and then four. It'd be good to uh, preserve somebody in, that's for sure. <laughs> Dry them right out. <laughs> Ironically enough, you'd have to kill them to do that. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, fan race. Yeah, fun thing. Sorry. It's a neat little, like, twist. Yeah. I find it interesting that they give it to the artist first. I mean, maybe it's it's now in name only kind of thing. In the name of. Yeah. 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 Maybe they keep like a bag for when they're no longer a pop star. For luck. <laughs> when they're allowed to eat it again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> oh my goodness. But if you want some more pieces of the audio pod that you're listening to, hit subscribe over on iTunes and you'll get you'll get a fresh slice every Friday. Also, please leave a rating and review over there at iTunes so we can let everybody know about the goodness that is anthropological. If you want to know our comings and goings, you can do so at the Nixcast on YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, as well as patreon.com slash the Nixcast. Patreon.com slash the Nixcast? Why, what is that? Patreon.com slash the Nixcast. Yeah, say it three times. If you are wondering what Patreon is, then a quick answer is that it is a site that allows you to become a patron of the artists you know and love. Did you ever wonder what we've been up to all these many months between episodes? Just anything going on about the Twitch stream, about the YouTube, about any of the stuff that you already mentioned? Well, by becoming a patron of the Nixcast at patreon.com slash the Nixcast, you can be on the inside track. That helps us to go to different conventions, uh, keep the podcast ad-free, do all of this work with your support. Even as little as a dollar a month is hugely helpful. Check that out, patreon.com slash the Nixcast. And if you're just listening to this podcast through your speakers, your headphones, your uh, your earpiece, your CIA secret earpiece, you know, if you've if you've opened up especially this one especially, if you've opened up a, a greeting card and it's playing this episode, please get in touch. Wow. We really want to know who is doing that this could be the first first podcast broadcast by greeting cards <laughs> if you're listening through any of those means or any other means why are you just listening why not also watch anthropological come together all at once every monday night at 8 p.m on twitch.tv slash nextcast you can see it's recording live you can ask us questions. You can throw in some comments down in the chat. You can uh, see us miming live for your pleasure and enjoyment. And hear some hilarious outtakes. <laughs> Hot takes. Yes, that's true. Takes, yeah. That's true. A little little inside baseball for everybody listening and watching right now. These podcasts, when we uh, live record them, tend to run about an hour and a half. The podcast that you get at the end of the week, usually about an hour. What happens to those other 30 minutes? It's garbage. It's just see <laughs> rifling through his notes. <laughs> I mean, it's a little maybe. bit a little too inside baseball, maybe. Oh, oh boy. <laughs> in any case, in any case, listening is great. But as they say, seeing is believing. So tune in 8 p.m. Monday nights on twitch.tv slash the next cast. Okay, well. That brings us to the last part of the show, which, you know, our world tour 
is coming to an end. So you know what? Screw the world. We're done with the world. Next week? We're going to Mars. What? Oh. Oh, shoot. <laughs> Do we have potatoes? Oh, I hope we have potatoes. I hear those are necessary. After next week, the only thing we're going to be talking about potatoes. We've become the potato podcast. Are we saving Matt Damon? We're saving Matt Damon. Ooh, you know Time what? Matt Damon movies and potatoes. Forget whatever we had planned for next week. We're saving <laughs> Matt Damon. No, next week. Forget the world. We're going to the stars. Because next Ooh. week, we are talking ah. about fans of cosplay which i guess are cosplayers and worth mentioning to add on to what you were saying z Mm -hmm. uh one of the things you miss out on if you are not watching us on twitch every monday at uh, 8 p.m eastern time is you miss out on the chance to be part of the show because when we do our famous last words it's not always just us sometimes there's a guest and sometimes if you're in the chat you could be the one having famous last words but this week it's just us, so too bad, internet. It is your chance to make us research dumb stuff that you have. Yeah, yeah. no guarantees, <laughs> but we would probably do it because it's probably yeah. interesting. Yeah. That is a rather long roundabout way to say... Famous last words. Z, what are your famous last words about cosplay? Oh, Which boy. I should point out is our season finale. Uh, why, why is cosplay our season finale? What I'm going to research. No. Uh-huh. Cosplay. I have one. Oh, shoot. I, okay, you I, go then. <laughs> hey, G. <laughs> All right. Let's see if I can buy you a little time here. Okay. T, you said earlier in this episode. Oh, no. For the... <laughs> oh, yeah. It's coming back on you already. Yeah. Um, that for the first time ever, the height of popularity of a fandom we're covering is now. I'm going to double down and say that cosplay is the most popular now than it's ever been. A bold claim. Let's see if it pays off. <laughs> it does feel like a game show, doesn't it? After some time has passed, I too have a question. <laughs> oh no. Go ahead. As you're all aware, there are, there are some rules to the internet. One of them is Rule 34. Stay with me. If it exists, there is porn of it. My question should there be a new rule, new rule about cosplay that states if there is an IP, there is cosplay of it? How will you find the answer to, to your put question? it? <laughs> to put it another way, maybe a little bit easier to research. <laughs> that is the idea. Is there anything for which there has not been a cosplay? Proving the negative is usually really hard. <laughs> so good luck with that. <laughs> Oh, shoot. This is hard because there's so many things that I could ask or it's like because there's so much to cosplay and I like we haven't even done I haven't done the research for next week's episode. But like as somebody who very rarely does it, I'm like, there's already things. So um, (laughs) but in the interest of time, I'm going to come up with something. You know what? I want to know if there are the Razzies. Hmm. For the worst cosplay. I know we don't usually talk about bad things, but I'm just like, there are tons of people who make amazing cosplay out there. Like, it's it's true to life. You imagine it stepped right out of whatever medium that it came mm-hmm. out of. I want to know, is there a, a competition for the worst cosplay? Interesting. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a pretty interesting episode. Well, it's the season finale, so we're getting in our rocket ship. And 
heading to the stars. Oh, yeah. Ground control to Major Tom. <laughs> Ground control to Major Tom. Uh-oh. Your circuit's dead. There's something wrong. <laughs> Alrighty. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye. Goodbye.